The Roll for Initiative podcast, issue number 56. I am one of your hosts, DM Vince, and uh, we're coming to you live from uh, probably the oven at this point, 90-something degrees outside here in the hot, sweaty state of Pennsylvania. I'm sitting alongside here with good old DM Nick. Yeah, almost right alongside in the uh, Buckeye state of Ohio. Yeah, you got that high degree, uh, the high temperature over there too, right? Oh my gosh, it's hotter than the, the city of Brass right now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah I got to throw in kind of gaming tie into there. Yeah, like that, your cover of the DMG, that city of Brass. Yeah, it's hotter than that. <laughs> it's hotter than it's hotter than Dark Sun. Oh, never mind. Whoa, 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 whoa! Let's <laughs> not get crazy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, so. Uh, What's been going on lately? Well, we updated the website yep. with all the shows. I put all the graphics up because uh, we were like it was like show forty eight to show fifty two, and then lacking some other ones. So I put all the graphics up so it matched all of them, so you could read all the show information. There's some people who are looking for that. Not everybody goes to forums and looks those things up, but you can go to osrgaming.org and look at all the show notes there. It's very simple to find. Lord knows I don't go to forums, do I? No, not at all, Mr. Ten Post. <laughs> hey, I like those ten posts. Yeah, sure you do. Anyway, <laughs> you were doing anything? Uh, how's the family game going? Uh, I haven't started it yet. I'm hoping to start it um, maybe, well, I don't know about this weekend. We're going to be a little bit busy, but I'm thinking the weekend after that. I think it'd be what the July twenty second, right around there. Right. I'm I'm hoping to to maybe get it started then. That would that would be my soonest time. But other than that, um, just trying to figure out what we're going to do for the home game when my friend Jeff uh, leaves for Afghanistan, and what we're going to you know what we're going to do in in between that time when he get when he gets back. So. Okay. Cool. So that's pretty much it. There. How about you? What's been going on with your 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 part your gaming life well uh i was actually uh picking up i was actually reading up on on your specialty nick of the old hackmaster oh cool yeah i was looking at uh fourth edition and then uh i realized that uh, basic came out which you said you play tested yes i did yes and uh, i didn't really i wasn't too keen on it i was I, I didn't like the rules so much and it was kind of mm. weird yeah it's a little weird at first but it's okay and then I, I was like, I was like nah, I'll just look at 4E because that's closer to what we you know play anyway. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that's pretty cool. Me and uh, Glenn were talking about it. Uh, DM Glenn from Save or Die, and he was thinking, well, why don't we play a game just to try it, just to try it once? We're like, all right, sure. Maybe. If anything, you know, worst case, just mine it for ideas. Yeah, well, that's the best. Yeah, it has some really cool ideas. But what's the deal with calling him God instead of God? <laughs> Uh, it's just a spelling thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Kind of out of the Knights of the Dinner Table comic. Oh, uh, okay. So. Other than that, I've been uh, jotting down notes to bring back the Book of Sorrows because, uh, you know, oh. we were talking about that. So, yes. we're do, so starting next week, we're going to start recording, which will probably be by the time everybody hears it this week. <laughs> hmm. So we're going to be doing good. that. Yeah. People looking for- Some people were looking forward to it. So otherwise, you know. Anyway, uh, that's it. I think we'll head into uh, Table Manners. Sage Advice. All right, so now we're in Sage Advice. We have uh, one letter to read for you guys. And, oh, look at this. Jason popped up. Hey, yeah. hi. Sorry. <laughs> I was rushing home from work. I'm, I'm here now. Yeah. What, no teleportation spells? No. Yeah, they keep putting me in the middle of mountains. Oh, it that's bad. Forever <laughs> to dig out. That, that's a bad thing when they put yeah. you in the middle of a mountain. <laughs> uh, the worst. All right. Well, we have one email this week, and it was called. It was from Riven. He says uh, regarding a morale checks for PCs. Remember we were talking about that a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He said I also tried to use morale checks for PCs when I first picked up D and D. If I remember correctly, I understood they were intended for NPCs, but didn't grasp why. I mean, why should NPCs have different rules from PCs? Right. Ha. As you probably can guess, that didn't last very long. 
<laughs> so he wanted to Why just... am I running away? Yeah. So he just wanted to share Why his little story. Why am I running away? Yeah. <laughs> Thank it's you, It's only Riven. a one-hit dice creature. <laughs> Thank you. I feel only marginally less silly, but... Thank you for somebody being in the same boat as me when we were kids. <laughs> Definitely. And if you have any sage advice, send it in to staff at gmail.com, or you can contact us at 570-865-4210-3872. And we'll head into uh, Table Matters. Typical of all the evil creatures in the world, I like to find one with table manners. What are you kidding me? I spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. Okay, so we're going to talk in table manners today about a rule, uh, falling and landing. Oh. A, rule, <laughs> a rule that uh, actually was misprinted in the first books. What? So, yeah. <laughs> You mean the first edition printing of the books? Well, every single printing of the first edition player's handbook uh, has the wrong rules for falling, as it turns out. So they corrected it in the orange spine? Uh, nope, they didn't correct it there either. Uh, so here's, uh, here's how it turns out. Uh, this could have been a very short discussion, because initially the... Uh, Player's Handbook has almost nothing to say. The DMG has nothing to say about falling yeah, damage. Yeah, the PH Player's Handbook, it's one paragraph. Yeah, it's seven and a half lines, and basically what it says is 1d6 for each 10 feet of distance fallen, up to a maximum of 20 d6. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's it. So it seems like we're done, right? Well, essentially. What else is there to say? All right, next segment. I'll wait. Yeah, except Uh-oh. that thank uh-huh. you... Thanks to Dragon Magazine, uh, if we go back to issue number 70, there is a Frank Mentzer article. Ooh. Oh, Frank wrote something. Yeah. Huh? So if we go to the uh, Sorcerer's Scroll in mm-hmm. issue 70, Frank points out that uh, what happened was, I'm going to actually just read this uh, specifically. Um what happened was, it says, as to the problem with falling damage, well, it all started back in the 1970s. <laughs> when, the AD, <laughs> when the AD&D Player's Handbook was being assembled, a brief section on falling damage was included, a mere seven and a half lines that offers more advice on broken bones and sprains than it does on falling damage. Hmm. Um, as we now understand the event, the section was not included in the first draft, and the editors requested a brief insert on this frequently referred to topic. So Gary hastily wrote a sentence describing damage as, quote, 1d6 per 10 feet for each 10 feet fallen. Someone removed the per 10 feet as being redundant, or so they thought, and off we went. Uh, that section was later quoted in passing in the Aerial Adventures section, etc., etc. The main point that he's getting to here is that it's not supposed to be 1d6 for every 10 feet. It's supposed to be cumulative. Yes. That's how I've always remembered it. It's cumulative. Yeah, but you wouldn't get that from the player's handbook. You probably no. actually read this article back when it came out. Yeah. Now now that I recall it, like, yeah. I, I never read that article, and I've always done cumulative damage. Then you just had something right. Yeah, I just uh, assumed. Yeah. Actually, so, so for 30 feet of falling, you wouldn't get 3d6. In fact, you would get 6d6. Mm-hmm. Right. But that's not the end of the story either. <laughs> so, oh, there's more. <laughs> but wait, there's more. So if you want to stop there, you can totally stop there. It's a pretty easy system to follow. As soon as you hit 60 feet, you're basically hitting terminal velocity. No more damage is going to happen than that. Uh, but right off the bat, that sounds a little funny, right? Because uh, if anybody yeah. who watches Mythbusters knows, you don't hit terminal velocity at 60 feet. It's no. much higher up. So uh, if you go to Dragon 88 there were a pair of competing articles about falling damage. And I'm going to say right now, if anybody out there is a mathematician or just really enjoys this type of stuff, or if you're a physicist... Or have um, no life. I, if you are, 
I'm telling you, if you think that being a mathematician or a physicist is not having a life, I don't know. Um, so the first article is by Arne Ashley Parker, and he uh, talks all about velocity, and he gets into a really, really detailed, this is like a eight-page article that gets real deep scientific facts talking about velocity and gives lots of formulas uh, and lands on what he thinks is a better system that's closer to physics. Um, and what he ends up doing is something that creates a lot more damage for the distance you fall. In fact, it gets to the point where this is the, the, the formula of the damage is you take the, the number of feet that you fall, uh, take the square root of that times five, and then take that divided by four, and that's the number of dice. So f even for falling from a short distance, you're going to get something like, uh, for even from falling from, say, 20 feet, you're going to have 5d6 of damage. Whoa! But he offsets that with saving throws. And the saving throws get complicated, too. I'm not going to try to read through the whole thing, but basically what it is is... Uh, you do a saving throw, which is essentially an ability check, so if you have, it's based on your dexterity. So you fall from 20 feet, you've got 5d6 points of damage, but your dexterity is 15. So you're going to roll a d20 or less on the, or say a, a 15 or less on a d20, adjusted for the fact that it was um, 5 dice of damage, so it's basically a 10 or less, and that's for half damage. And then he keeps on going all the way to the point where you can take only one-eighth of the damage. So you actually could fall from a great height if you're very dexterous and not get too hurt. Mm. It's complicated if you're the kind right. of DM that likes having formulas and dice like this to figure stuff out for ultimate reality. It's pretty cool. It might now, be a lot easier to run the 1d10. Is, now, this was from <laughs> Dragon number 88. Mm-hmm. So this was what 1984, I think, probably August August 1984. Wow! So Nick. my 13-year-old brain probably went lame, <laughs> moved on to read Warmy or something, because that's just even nowadays that's like a little too much for me. That's, well, it, there's there's a rebuttal. The very next page is oh goody! Even, I like rebuttals. Who does a rebuttal to this falling thing? And I'm not going to go into all of it, but he gets into physics too, and his formula ends up essentially going back to the original 1d10 cumulative per 10 feet. Not exactly, but, but I mean, sorry, 1d6, sorry. Um, <laughs> wow. No, it's, it's not exactly that, but it gets close enough to it that you could feel comfortable saying, if I just want to roll some dice, I'm just going to do 1d6 cumulative, 20 is the maximum. No saving throws. Just go for it. Now I know in my in my game what I do. There is no maximum. Right. I mean, to okay. me, because <laughs> I, I remember reading in the in the player's handbook where it says, um, "The sec that uh, was it. This treatment gives character a better survival chance." Well. You know, that means that a maximum of 20d6, that what were you saying, like a maximum of what, as far as feet-wise, 60 feet, you said, Jason? For the for the original system, yeah. Yeah, for, so basically they're saying from 60 feet on up to, oh, let's just say low Earth orbit, <laughs> that your maximum damage is only 20d6. Mm -hmm. If you don't burn I don't think so. <laughs> Call me kooky. I'm not a big. I, I mean, I'm not good on math. Sure. Know, you know, I know a little bit about you know science and things like that. I mean, you fall from a great height, you're probably gonna die. You're gonna you die. die. Usually die. I mean, sixty feet, two hundred, two thousand. You know. Well, so then then you get into terminal velocity because there is a point at which. It doesn't matter how much higher you fall from, you're going to fall at the same speed. Oh, falling, right. from, falling from 10,000 feet and 20,000 feet is exactly the same. Oh, that's good to know. I mean, either way, so you're, you're dead. <laughs> so, well, thank God for that. Well, I mean, you, you guys have, see, have heard stories of people falling out of airplanes and surviving. It's happened. It's incredibly well, rare. But Yeah, incredibly rare. There's actually a video you can find on YouTube of a guy who fell videotaping himself while he did a skydive, his parachute doesn't open, he lands in a tree and survives. Well, yeah, you landed on a tree. 
He didn't land on, like, I don't know, concrete. Yeah. Well, that <laughs> he would not have survived on the concrete. But what I'm saying is there that you go. <laughs> if it wasn't for terminal velocity, which is basically saying that there's a certain point at which the air resistance outweighs grav or outdoes gravity um, right. so that you're basically you can't fall any faster because the air is holding you back it's right. enough to save your life if you hit something that's soft enough like a tree right and i that's kind of alluded to in that paragraph where i think it says um where is it uh, you know plus or minus adjustments for the surface fallen upon i mean mm-hmm. that's where it's like okay you fall i don't know 200 feet and you hit a tree yeah you're you're gonna get hurt but not as much as like if you fell 200 feet and hit the ground hit the ground yeah right or if you fell 200 feet into a body of water you know yeah there's gonna be some plus or minus if you fell 200 feet into like a pool of molten lava well you're just dead (laughs) no uh (laughs) i have my lava suit on well, then you're fine. Okay. Then you're fine. Okay. <laughs> well, but, or you well, just disbelieve. Well, I don't know. So, so the system, the system that, I, again, I'm not going to try to describe it in too much detail because it's easier to read than it is to hear. But the system I mentioned before where you get 5d6 damage for falling from 20 feet, it's actually regressive rather huh. than progressive. So this was his main point is that if you're falling, if, if you're making the dice cumulative, you're saying that for every 10 feet, it's worse. Whereas in the other system, as it goes up, it actually gets slightly less bad. So that you can fall, so the maximum damage is still 20d6, but you can fall from a height of 260 feet before that happens. Oh. Now that makes a little more sense to me. Right. It's 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 kind of a cool system. It's just that you would have to take a few minutes to think about it and make sure you had it in your head before you started to use it. Because if you tried to read it on the fly while you're applying it, you'd mm-hmm. be sitting there boring your players to death. Yeah, yeah I, I, I still I probably skipped the wormy or what's new with Phil and Dixie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. I probably did. I'm like, why yeah. is this in here? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I want to read more about. I remember seeing this at the time, and I thought it was pretty cool. But whatever, you know. That's I was. Well, you like math, probably. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. like a math nerd, so. <laughs> True, but um, but but anyway, so th- this this system, I, uh, I don't think that it's. I, I don't know if it's you know accurate. I don't know if 260 feet is really the maximum height for terminal velocity or not. I'd have to find out and whatever. <laughs> but um. The other thing you have to figure into this as you're doing your realism and you're trying to make this as much of a simulation as possible is you have to stop a moment and go, wait a minute, hit points? What? Real people don't have hit points either. So no matter what. We don't want to go into that, do we? So no matter what you do with a system like this, you're ultimately going to come up against the fact that you're doing a game mechanic. So. You right. try to put too much realism into something that bases damage on the number of points you can take is always going to be an issue. Right. In a game oh. about fairies and dragons and orcs. Which uh, are totally real. Looking online, terminal, <laughs> terminal velocity of a human is 117 to 125 miles per hour in the posture of a bullet. Okay. It can reach 210 miles per hour. They don't say anything about... Oh, downforce... Parentheses gravity equals upforce wind resistance. Right, that's when you hit terminal velocity, when the two meet each other. Yeah. But I guess you just raised a good point. You know, it also depends if you're spread eagled or in a ball or if you're trying to dive like you're diving. Or you're flapping your your arms just like doing a cartoon. Well, that would work if you're playing Steve Jackson's tune. Which is awesome. Which is awesome. That's true. (laughs) So anyway, so falling damage, it's if you want to make it simple... You can just do 1d6 per 10 feet, but make it cumulative, because that's what it was supposed to be in the first place. Right. Or, if you want to get into making something that feels a little bit more physics-based and is regressive and has uh, saving throws involved and all kinds of cool stuff like that, it's in Dragon 88, and you can knock yourself out. Well, if you throw in things like, quote-unquote, physics, then magic can't (laughs) work. Yeah, magic uh, physics. <laughs> magic physics. Magic it's physics. magic. Anyway, uh, as normal, Jason. Obviously, I don't agree with you. 
<laughs> wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a podcast if I agreed with you totally, so... I don't do that. I don't do, handle all the math and all the physics. Like you said, I'm more on the fly. I don't go by the book. Honestly, have you ever jumped off a diving board at 30 feet into the water? I have not. Nick? Maybe on a dare. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I've done it, and into the water, it's still kind of, you know, you feel the impact on your legs. Uh-huh. Anybody will feel the impact. Now, just imagine you're 60 feet in the air. You're a fighter wearing plate mail, and you slip off the edge of that cliff and heading down straight into the rocks. Oh, you're dead. You're dead. <laughs> There's no need to roll. You're dead, or you, you can, if you want to be a fair DM, you could say he's unconscious. Anything over 60 feet, my book, is you're either unconscious or dead, depending on the height. Mm-hmm. And I like that you actually factor in things like you know, what the character's wearing and weapons and stuff like that, because that was another thing I was thinking about. You know, what does the character got on? (laughs) Obviously, if it's a monk and he's wearing that big robe, I would actually consider that, like, part of a, like, kind of like a parachute because it's so large. Well, the monk Mm -hmm. would just, like, bounce off of trees like crouching tiger, hidden dragon kind of thing. Nick. What? (laughs) No, but I would consider that some type of, like, parachute or, like, where am I, what am I looking for? Hang glider type thing? Sure, sure. Well, so there you go. What kind of a what kind of a campaign are you running? Are you running one that's got crouching tiger, hidden dragon kind of <laughs> physics, or are you running one that's got you know really super realistic ones where sorry, there's no way to survive a fall of seventy feet. You just can't do it. Honestly, no. <laughs> I don't Honestly, care what I don't well, care what no, the book if, says. If your if if your campaign are hit points something that you've made a lot of allowances for, and you've said, well, you know, it's how to do with how the person dodges the blow, or is it like, no, that's literally how much damage he can take if you stood there and just whacked him with a sword over and over again. <laughs> ten, ten, ten. Why are you dead? Ten. Ow. I don't care. Let's well, do something I like- don't know. I'm, like if the if the fighter fell sixty feet, I would I would still roll the dice, and if he survives, fine. But I can tell oh, you yeah. that fighter is not going to be you know just you know he gets up at the bottom. He's like I'm okay. You still I'm have fine. to you still have to do a system shock roll. One hit point left. He's like I'm okay. No, no. that's not it. You're like. You have like contusions. You have bones sticking out. Exactly. No, no. Vince has a good point, though. You got to get. What about your system shock? What about saving throws? What about oh system shock? Yeah, I would. eh, I would. I would would forego the saving throws and do system shock because that's going to be a heck of a shock to your body. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But so if you have a character that falls from sixty feet using the cumulative one, you know, so you got. 20d6 of damage, and somehow you roll 21s in a row. <gasps> it's only 20... You, theoretically, it's just as... I mean, you're, look, it's just as likely to roll any number as any other number. You could have a case where somebody rolls 20 points of damage on that. What are you sure. going to do then? Luck. Pure luck. Heck, okay. Heck of a lot of luck. The gods intervened somehow. Yeah. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern intervened. There you go. Thank you very much. That's when you, as a DM behind the screen, go, I meant 41. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say that? (laughs) Yeah. All right. So I guess that pretty much ends that. We'll figure out, uh, ask you out there how you handle falling and landing. Do you take the Jason by the book approach or the... I, I'm, I just want to state for the record, I'm not advocating either one because you know what I've done up until I read this? Uh-huh. I did exactly what it said in the player's handbook and I went, eh, you know, 40 feet, 46. So mm-hmm. I was getting it wrong no matter what. I would probably go with the cumulative uh, 1d6 or, um, you know, d6 per, but I just think the other one's pretty fun to try out. All right, so you do the, the kind of fun Jason way that he likes or doesn't condone. <laughs> haven't done yet, but I might try it out. He might try it out, or you can try my method. You tell us which one. Too much math. <laughs> Too much math, yeah, I know. My head will explode. Or you can do like Nick, just do like scanners and your head explodes. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll skate over to uh, game mechanics. You think I'm mad? Perhaps I am. What are you, a wizard, a genius? Darn. A perfectly good brain wasted. 
Game Mechanics. Okay, I guess uh, I'll go into Game Mechanics here, because <laughs> no one else is speaking up. <laughs> what? 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 We, we were busy. Oh, we no were, respect. No I respect. was counting Jason's D6s for the fall he just had. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and, and in Game Mechanics this week, we're going to talk about uh, uh, different types of flying mounts. You know, what kinds there are, uh, what are they, how do you use them in your campaign. And um, I thought it was really interesting in the player's handbook how it, it really, I think it tried to keep it fairly simple. It kept it to the, what would they, I guess, what uh, Gary Gygax considered the three most common types that you would run into as far as either, you know, you know player characters getting uh, flying mounts would either be a griffin a hippogriff or a pegasus. Giraffes, and, hippos, and pigs. Oh yes. my. Giraffes, hippos, and pigs. Oh Indeed. my. <laughs> um, I thought it was interesting that he actually had a little uh, parenthesis statement that says griffins will eat pegasi or hippogriffs if given a chance, and hippogriffs confined with pegasi will bully rag, bully rag them whenever possible. Poor bully pegasi. rag. Another Gygaxian yeah. Couldn't just say bully, could he? <laughs> Had to say bully rack. But um, he gives a brief description about griffins, how to train them. Uh, nasty, ill-tempered creatures. Uh, though once you uh, break their will, I guess, uh, they become fiercely loyal mounts. And But you have to be really on track with the training. It's roughly about uh, four months of training for a griffin. And within that time, you cannot have a break for no more than two days at a time. So if you have a break, you can only take a day or two at at a time. And you must mm-hmm. continue with the training. Or their natural instincts kick in and they're like, yeah, the heck with you, I'm taking off or I'm going to eat you. <laughs> so... <laughs> um, after a couple more months, you're able to fly the griffin, but uh, he also gives the uh, another paragraph as far as upkeep of these creatures. Not very cheap. They're very expensive to feed. They need at least three groomers and about three to six hundred gold pieces a month as far as upkeep. That's probably because you know special quarters, food, all these other things. Um, Generally, they'll eat an entire horse for dinner Jeez. for a griffin. Yeah. Hippogriffs, not so bad. Um, Does it have training, to be a good horse? I, I don't think it really cares. <laughs> As opposed to what? A bad horse? Yeah. You know, just give, give them the ones you're not using anymore. Citizen, why are you doing that to me? <laughs> Wilbur, why are you giving me to the griffin? Uh... <laughs> So sorry, Mr. Ed. Yeah. Um, but it says the hippogriffs, similar training, not as nasty, not as ill-tempered, and also... Like sea bass? Yeah. <laughs> with lasers on their heads. Yes. And uh, they can, uh, once they're broken, they can serve more than one master. And like the griffin will only allow the person that trained it to uh, fly it. And also, hippogriffs are omnivores, which I didn't know. So they are not as expensive to feed. So you can feed it animal and plant matter. So instead of giving it, you know, the whole pot roast, you could give up pot roast, some potatoes, and veggies on the side. Aww, all the trimmings. Yeah, so well-balanced meal for the hippogriff. Pegasi, uh, they, they said they'll serve any good characters. Um, they're loyal... Uh, given to one master in a lifetime. Uh, other than that, uh, also for, for flying mounts, when they uh, they must rest an hour for every three they fly, and when they rest, they voraciously eat whatever they can find. So, so they binge eat. They basically because they're they're using all the muscles in their body to fly, and keeping your happy butt in the air with it. <laughs> right. So, you know, it, you know, poor hippogriff's like, 
I gotta keep up with this guy. He's on my back for 300 miles. Yeah. We're gonna stop and eat. This bum. So, um, sometimes they, uh, it says use of more exotic types of flying mounts would generally require some form of spell control, like Charm Monster. Um, likewise, Griffin's Hippogriff and Pegasi can be turned and, and ridden. And then it says it continues on to things like aerial uh, combat. And so it logically progresses into there, but... There's a pretty uh, nice, con- uh, concise uh, few paragraphs about the three basic mounts. I mm-hmm. think we're all kind of familiar with in our games, but ones that were vaguely alluded to but were not mentioned. I mean, what are some of the other mounts that you could think of? Uh, I'll go with Vin- uh, Vince first. That would be logical, you know, uh, go-tos for other types of mounts besides the basic three here. A large eagle. Okay, like a That's rock. Good. Yeah. yeah, rocks would be good. Um, I I was thinking like wyverns. Yeah, wyvern would be good. Yeah, the uh, dragon riders. Yes. Well, I've been I've been reading all of the Temeraire novels lately. Uh-huh. So oh really? I'm just thinking dragons. I'm yeah. not really yeah. just thinking dragons. Yeah, let's not. Yeah, the 800 pound gorilla in the room here. <laughs> oh, that's that's like a toenail. Yeah, yeah. the 800 ton gorilla. And I yeah. don't think I've ever had a game or ever been in a game where anybody had a dragon mount. That's just a campaign buster right there, you know. At least in my opinion. Have you have you guys read uh, Naomi Novik's Temeraire novels? Mm-mm. No, I've heard of them. I was actually wondering how how well they were put they're, together. They're amazingly good. It's so so for anybody who doesn't know them, they are sort of set in. Like almost like an alternate history. They're set like in the time of the Napoleonic Wars, and everything is just like it was then, except for one thing: dragons are real. Ah, okay. And you, you, the, the, the dragons. The way that she—I mean, first of all, she's one of the best action writers that I've ever read. I mean, she can just describe action that literally makes you feel as on the edge of your she- of your seat as you are in a movie. Cool. Um, but, and, and then the way that she gets into the heads of these dragons, and they're somewhere between, uh, you know, sort of like, like incredibly intelligent puppies, in a sense, mm-hmm. you know, because they're, they're really loyal and they're really, but they're also incredibly ancient and wise at the same time. Right. Uh, but the way that she does it, it makes you think about potentially bringing that into a campaign in the sense that these dragons aren't going to just step in and upset the balance of power in a one-on-one fight. They're going to do what they want to do. They might, and, and if you're going to have one as a mount, I guess the main thing is that the other guys get to have one too. Uh, and they're so big that they're just, they just don't fit into, you wouldn't bring one into a dungeon in, the, in these cases. No. That, you know? And that's where you kind of, since we're on the topic of dragons as mounts, keeping within the game mechanic, I think you got to be real, you got to be very, very careful if you're going to, even hint <laughs> as a DM that this sort of thing is possible with your party. I know with my players, they would they would ruin everything, <laughs> as they do all the times. They we love can't breaking, have nice things. They love breaking adventures. They love breaking modules. So this is the kind of thing where I'm like, I don't know. This is where like if they're going to have a dragon mount. It's going to be. Basic dragon, no spells. Oh yeah, minimum intelligence for the yeah. creature. No possible. Arag- no Aragons here. Yeah, no, yeah. no Aragons here. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't go there in a normal campaign unless the DM had really, really thought about it and figured out how to counteract the issues that are going to come up with letting somebody have a gold dragon uh, yeah. as a mount. Yeah, that would be just wrong. <laughs> if you, yeah, if don't don't just do it on a whim. Think no. this one out. Think about what it's going to do to your campaign. Think about how to counteract the the uh, the issues. I, I'd love to hear somebody come up with some creative ways to allow that. I've never it's done either, it. I I almost think in a way with when, about the dragon issue. It's either all or nothing. Either you don't have it, or it's they're just as common as horses. You know. Right. Right. So well, it doesn't be like special. 
and all that stuff. If you're the only one with a dragon in a campaign, you're pretty much destroyed the campaign. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> well, I'm trying to think of some others that might be good. I mean, we said like a rock. Uh, Why had dragons wyverns? Dragons. Um, the dragons I used in my campaign, well, I actually was a, we were playing classic D&D. And uh-huh. uh, you know how there's a subdual rules for subduing dragons in uh, classic. Actually, it was in B4. Mm-hmm. They have some rules for subduing dragons. So we actually had a party went out and tried to do this. And they subdued a dragon into submission. The fact that they became like the party pet. Because they follow the rules precisely. <laughs> So I, it's, you can do it. Yes. Isn't doesn't the uh, in the player's handbook? I think is it the player's handbook or the DMG where they talk about the monster as a player character, like it's the why DMG. you don't want to do yeah, it. The DMG, yeah, yeah. It, it yeah we talked about that once. Yeah. Yeah, why you don't do it? But then it sort of gives a little bit of a wink and a nod to those people who might go ahead and try it anyway. But what I remember is that the illustration that accompanied it, I now have to flip and make sure if I remember. Yeah, the green is. dragon toasting the kobolds? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, so That's your campaign with a monster as a player character. <laughs> this is what will happen. Swoosh. Yeah. <laughs> but but the, 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 the fact is that it does get to, you're virtually on your own, you have advice as to why they're not featured, you know, we don't give any details in doing it, but hey, it's up to you, it's your world. And I'd say the same thing with the dragon as a mount. Eh, that's such a good idea, but it's your world. Yeah, it's, if you if you can work it out, you know, go for it. I'm just trying to think of some other creatures that we might have uh, overlooked that might be decent as mounts. I would... I'm, well, might be thinking of one. I'm not sure if they have wings. Um, is it the um, gosh? What is it? Uh, chimera? Don't they have wings? Yes. Mm-hmm. How about a chimera oh. as a mount? How about a, cool. how about a pterodactyl? If you use dinosaurs? In your oh, campaign? that would be good too. A pterodactyl. Very how about a wheel. How about a Isn't that the flying head? <laughs> yes, the flying vampire head. Oh, jeez. Not so much. <laughs> yeah, but unless you're playing a pixie fairy or something, I don't know. Full pixie fairy. Here you That'd go. a pretty fearsome thing to see. What's the, what's the other monster that um, it can shoot spikes out of its tail? Um, ooh, here's a good one. What about the Opinicus? Is that on the Monster Manual, too? Yeah. They're sort Is of that- chimera-looking. Isn't um, it like a, like a head like a camel? and Yeah, yeah, but they got wings, and they are chaotic good, and uh, they're very intelligent, so it'd be... I, I think you start getting out of mounts as a beast of burden and more as a partner. You know, we, we yeah, haven't actually yeah. thought like about... When you're talking things like Shidus and... What about... Like Masu. What about insects? Giant insects? Oh, yeah, like a giant... Uh, Praying mantis or a giant bumblebee? I could see like an elf or something riding that around, the, like a ranger or something. Or... Like a giant just... butterfly? Like Mothra? <laughs> well, there, there's the, uh, the, the fire friend. It's only a f- one foot long, but if you're playing a gnome. Oh, what about a giant turtle? Oh, never mind. A what? A giant turtle? <laughs> Gamera. Does he have a little friend named Kenny? Yes. Then he must die. <laughs> oh! You what about there. the uh, what? How do you pronounce it? The the, the Kirin? Oh, Kyren, yeah. Kyren, yeah. I, I just thought, I'm looking at the dragon horse right now. I think when you get in the mounts like the dragon horse, Kyren, or stuff like that, you're talking about those sorts of creatures because they're so highly intelligent. I I kind of play them off because they're like, I'll let you ride me once. Yeah. Well, that's kind of <laughs> like. I'm not a horse. <laughs> Basically, no, sir, I don't like it. <laughs> it's more like an NPC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That lets you ride on their back. Yeah, as a favor. Because yeah. you know things like Shidus and Lamassu and Kyren, they're pretty powerful creatures. They're not just gonna let some bumbling, you know, fifth level fighter say, "Hey, come on over here." I got a little <laughs> now. What if you? For you. What if you have really clever players that wind up tricking a demon that could fly? Into so being their maybe mouth. they somehow... Uh, like bind the demon somehow? Bind, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we... Sure. I went through that. <sighs> really? Yeah, it, it was, a, it was a, a great Joe DM campaign, and we were going after one of the lesser demons of hell, 
because Joe was bored that week, so he decided to throw something big at us. Oh, like he great. always does. So we wound up. No, don't get Joe bored. Yeah. So he tried to th- he tried to throw a, some tried to trick at us with a contract, and we all sat together and looked at it because it was Joe, and <laughs> we figured out the trick and we reversed it on the uh, actual demon. I forgot what demon it was, but the demon became our servant. So we <laughs> so we took turns riding on its back. <laughs> no way. Yeah. That's awesome. We had to do whatever we told him to do. He he eventually got out of the contract because he killed us. But sure, well, that'll do it. <laughs> yeah, there was some kind so, of sub clause. I don't know. So the, the 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 tough part that then comes next is once you've got your flying mount is well not tough for the players but for the DM just making sure that you've got your flying uh, combat down. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. Because all and I guess you know if I remember right, I'm looking at the rules again now. But if I remember right, it it still stayed pretty two dimensional, even though you were in the air. It didn't really get right. too much into like most games. I mean, if you've played any uh, miniatures game that's with airplanes or something, they tend to be a little bit, or certainly the space games, they still stay a pretty two dimensional. Yeah. yeah. So it's not too bad. That's when you're like, okay, it's a game. I'm not going to try to do advanced hyperphysics. One of the things I did like out of the flying mount section and I it but it was only talked about with the griffins the cost of keeping these flying mounts healthy, you know, being fed and groomed and everything. For for what was a griffin it was anywhere between 300 to 600 gold pieces a month. Yeah, it should be expensive. And it should be, yeah, it should be. And I think the more exotic the mount, the more expensive it should be. Absolutely. So if you want to like capture that, get those wyvern eggs, and raise those little, those little baby wyverns up to be mounts for you. <laughs> well, we had it. Uh, you better have like a you know a real good long-term investment plan. Uh, another Joe story for you. Joe actually had an interesting uh, flying mount combat uh, scenario for you. He was when we attacked, and he made us roll a d20 as usual and a d4. And whatever the d4 landed on, that was the particular side you were attacking from. So if it was a one, you were attacking from above to below, or if you rolled a four, you'd be attacking from below to above. He yeah. kind of worked it out that way. Interesting. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. I like it. They make it more so, like 3D or three more three-dimensional. Simple. Yeah. But elegant. Yeah, you still want to have that feeling. I like that. Yeah, it's got, it was just a, like, I think he threw it together, but it was really cool how he did it. You know, we need to find this great Joe DM. <laughs> I think the D&D gods took him back to heaven. Oh. I don't know what happened to him. Sooner or later, we're going to hear somebody say, oh, yeah, I, I play with him now. Yeah. yeah. Someday, if he even, if he still even plays, I don't even know. So the the and, one thing that bummed me out before this show, I was hoping to you know knowing that we were going to talk about falling, yeah, and flying mounts. Yes, um, I was hoping to find the character class that I put together so many years ago, and I couldn't find the notebook in time. Oh, uh, but it'd be kind of fun just to at least if I do find it, I'll put it up on the website, but. I'll throw it out there even if anybody else is interested in coming up with ideas about it. And it was the character class called the Air Lancer. Oh, like a like a dragon rider kind of thing, huh? But with a... Uh, I, I did it with a Middle Eastern flavor because I decided mm-hmm. that it just sort of fit that sort of Arabian Nights kind of uh, feel. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was very similar to a paladin because the mount that the Air Lancer would eventually get was a Pegasus, and since they have to be good... Mm. Um, I really made the character class uh, kind of molded after a paladin to some extent. Mm. Uh, I can't remember a lot of the other details. There was some spell use at high levels, but really the main point of it was the increased, the the better ability with flying steeds. If I find it, I'll put it up, but but, I mean, that's enough of a germ of an idea. Just I'd love to hear anybody else's ideas about what an air lancer should be able to do. Uh, yeah, I would definitely like to see that, because knowing how you are, you would probably be a well, well-balanced class, so... 
I, I hope it was. I hope I don't dig it up and find <laughs> out that it was a total munchkin. <laughs> I just was like, I will have the ability to control Pegasi. And throw 20 dice fireballs at will. Oh, please. I remember the first class I created for AD&D back when I was like 12. It was called uh-huh. The Shining Warrior. He had, he was, he looked like a, a greasy, like, um, Nordic guy. He had a, uh, he kind of looked like Thor, but the dirty, and he had a shining hammer that he could toss and did like 1d4 plus 10 points of damage and <laughs> you know how you are when you're a kid you're like yeah damage well, okay since we kind of derailed 9, this 000. conversation well let's uh, see how everybody else feels about you know how they use what? flying mounts in their campaign let us know on the forums at uh, osrgaming.org oh my god Nick got something right never mind yes I did <laughs> what's the email address <laughs> I'll throw the whole senate at you uh, anyway, yeah, I, I like to hear some stories, maybe some people about some funny or interesting stories about flying mounts in their campaign, maybe some interesting or unique mounts that they might have used for flying mounts. So uh, let's uh, leave that out to the folks listening out there, and I guess we'll move on to Creature Feature. Creature, Creature, Feature, Feature, Theater, Theater. Oh, sorry. We're in creature feature. We're creature feature. We're on the creature feature. Oh, that was really bad. I am not even going to try to pronounce this. Jason? <laughs> oh, boy. Pronouncing. Um, I didn't even think about it. Um, Akairai? Akai- I was going to say Akairi, but Akairai is probably or better. Or Achairai? I mean, there's a C. I think Akairai sounds... I think you're pretty close. Okay, so let's go with a Kairi for now. Why if not? anybody else out there knows a better pronunciation, go ahead and call us. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to say. <laughs> anyway, this basically, when I first look at this creature, it looks like a chick with four legs, like a chick, a chickadee. I don't want to say chick like yeah. a woman. <laughs> with four right. legs, it's you see the picture of it. It's like four times the size of a person. Mm-hmm. And these little creatures attack with a beak attack. Uh, does 1d10 points of damage, and they each have four little legs that do, was a 1d6 points of damage, I believe. Little? They're 15 feet tall. Yeah, well, they're supposed to... <laughs> they're, uh, yeah, 1, 1, 1d8, yeah. Oh, 1d8, excuse me. And the, the funny thing about it is they don't roll morale checks or anything, so as soon as you chop a leg off, it says that the creature tries to run away. <laughs> right. <laughs> if it can't get away, it continues to attack, and if you chop two legs off, it still tries to get away, but it's like moving it half. And then you chop the third leg off, it kind of just, you know, tries to get away still, but really goes full force at you with that one, you know, claw. I guess falls on his butt, I don't know, something like that. But it shoots out a black, misty cloud, I guess, out of its beak? It doesn't really say. Well, use your imagination. If if you you want me to use my imagination? Yeah. (laughs) I'm not sure you want me to do that on this podcast. (laughs) Nick! Nah. Anyway, right. so it shoots out a black cloud and it does 1d10. No, wait. I dropped my book. Jason, you have your book open? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. So the, the, the beak attack is 1d10. It, it yeah. gets three attacks uh, two claw attacks and one beak attack. So 1d8 for each claw attack. I and the assume beak. because the other two need to stay on the ground. And the um, beak and attack, the- he attacks as a nine hit dice monster. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, so that's pretty nasty in that respect. I like the picture of him picking up the one guy. Yeah. You know what was interesting about this this creature is when I first read it, is in, just in the first few um, sentences, it says, though the foul motives which caused these loathsome birds to be first summoned from the infernal regions are now lost from memory. Remnants of the original, whatever the heck it's called, flock still stalk the earth, haunting <laughs> shadowy places and underground passages. Infernal regions. This implies it's from like Hades or well, from obviously from its alignment from like the abyss. It does say summoned. So and I guess its legs can regenerate. Fair enough. From yes. What, from what I understand. Oh, and that black cloud does 2d12 points of damage, and you get to save versus poison or suffer insanity. So, hmm. somewhere 
in in the abyss. There Lovecraft, is anyone? there is a um, Nick specialty a, a a fried chicken franchise. Hey, <laughs> of these using these creatures because they can regenerate their legs. Oh, that is bad. I like it. <laughs> so. <laughs> Did you do you ever do you ever see the uh, the the order of the stick with the the Hydra hut? Yes, Hydra. Yeah, because <laughs> somebody discovered that they're just going to keep on regenerating as you cut off their head, so he just kept on going. Nice. And started the Hydra hut. Yes. So you know what? Like I said, if they're from the abyss, it would be I guess safe to assume that if your characters ever got there somehow, whatever reason why. Mm-hmm. You would see these creatures there in flocks. I think you should. Yeah. Oh my gosh, they have thirty-five percent magic resistance. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. Um, that's pretty good. <laughs> you know, they're they're loathsome birds according to the description, and the drawing here, the, the illustration, they're they're kind of tough looking, kind of mean. They're also really round. Yeah. And like almost cute, almost cute, <laughs> almost cute. I think, I think I'd like to in my game. I think I want to use these, and I think I want to make them cute. Oh my gosh, yes! <laughs> <laughs> this is a way to sucker into player characters. Oh, look at the breed! Exactly. Absolutely. to my eye, my eye. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's I'm far totally more with you on that. <laughs> oh yeah I'm totally with you on this one I love that idea yeah Soccer make them different players. colors oh yeah like pink, Easter colors pinky pink and Fun. yellow bright blue and they're emitting the cutest little sounds Sweet. I mean they're really just big puffball birds what could possibly yeah. go wrong <laughs> they're exactly. jiggly they're jiggly puffs <laughs> uh oh, Nick, that's a Pokemon reference. <laughs> you okay, Nick? So, is this creature li- exist in Pokemon? Um, I don't know. You'd have to ask Crispy about that one. It seems to be the running gag for the creature feature lately. Is there a Pokemon equivalent? I think there actually is. Thinking about there it, there probably is. <laughs> I don't feel like going to Pokemon.com to find out. No. Oh, do it! You want it showing up in your history file? Shut up! But it's, you know, <laughs> like you know, the the question, like you said, Jason, you know, ways to use it. Yeah, I would. This is a way you could use a creature and totally trick the players into thinking it's something somewhat benign. I could see these creatures on like uh, a painting on the wall, like showing the end of a civilization as these things came flocking in to kill everything. Ooh. Like Ooh, for, too. foretelling something that happened in the past that's going to happen again if something, 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 something. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, I know a Greyhawk tie-in then. With uh, these. Really? The Invoke Devastation. Yeah. Okay. You know, I maybe these are some of the creatures that were summoned in. I, I guess that was the Invoke Devastation. I know there was the Reign of Colorless Fire. Yeah, but there was the invoke devastation. Maybe these creatures were a part of that. I can really see these creatures being in Ravenloft. Oh, well, yeah. yeah, yeah, not the cute version, but maybe the more diabolic one. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep that 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 brow furled for the evil looking one. The, yeah. The, yes. The other one just a real bright blue eyes, <laughs> little bow in his fur. Yeah. All right. Enough of that. <laughs> So what do you guys think? We'll just throw it out to the audience now. RFIstaff at gmail.com. And we'll hand the dragon sword. The dragon sword. The dragon sword today, we look in the treasure chest and we find an amulet. And this is a uh, a pendant uh, that is the Amulet of Life Protection. So uh, what this does, this this pendant, or I guess it could be a brooch, you know, it says pendant or brooch, uh, it is uh, primarily to do two things. The wearer cannot be possessed 
um, by any type of mental attack, so magic jar spell, um, no demonic means, no di diabolic means, no demon is going to be able to possess you. you your, your amulet protects you from that. Um, and the other thing it does is that if the wearer of this amulet is slain, um, in a, it's almost like a, a lich's uh, phylactery here. Uh, oh, the psyche yeah. enters the amulet and is protected for seven full days. Um, after seven days, though, uh, this, it goes to the plane of its alignment. So it's basically a seven-day holding buffer against, you know, before you head off to the happy hunting grounds. Basically, um, yeah, you're stuck in limbo for a week. You know, I never actually, it, speaking of that, I never yeah. actually thought about that, Jason. Alignment planes. Mm -hmm. You mean like where your where your character would go after? Death? Yeah, you you just said alignment planes, and I mean that might be a topic for another show, though, because it's just interesting alignment plans. It would be. It'd be really, uh, you know, what's going on over in the chaotic neutral alignment plane? <laughs> kind of a world is that? It's a circus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, go, go back to the amulet. Sorry. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, this is really what it. This is really its 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 main two things. It's definitely something that's. Uh, more useful to high-level characters. You're going to run into the sort of situations where you have to worry about um, being possessed, especially, you know, demon-possessed. Um, it also yeah. protects you against psionic attack, a couple of psionic attack modes, um, psionic blast and psychic crush. So really, the amulet of life protection would maybe be better described as an amulet of psyche protection. Yeah. It's protecting your soul, yeah. essentially. You know who could really use this? Hmm. Linda Blair. Would have been helpful. Yeah. Would have been helpful. That yeah. that whole movie Exorcist, yes. <laughs> <laughs> There'd be an interesting thread. Movies that would be different if you had the right magic item from the DMG. Oh, okay. That's a new one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't have forty seven thousand Friday the thirteenth movies and nine Nightmare on Elm Streets and Yeah, all you need is a wand of fireballs. Yeah, it'd be fine. What would a Wanda polymorphing do for um, Michael Myers? I don't know for for the move for the uh, uh, multiplicity with Tom Hanks. No, who's in, whoever the guy who's not Tom Hanks? Michael Keaton. That's the one. Yeah, yeah he's not Tom Hanks at all. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> not even close. But you know, same so color back hair. To the, back to the point. The amulet of life protection. Uh, Really good for high-level characters. Can you think of some places that you would want to let your players get a hold of one of these? On the top of the highest mountain in the highest realm, or at the bottom at the bottom of the uh, deepest sea. <laughs> this is not Titanic, pal. I, I just thought you were going to start singing "River Deep, Mountain High" at any point. No. He went there. Yes, he did. So, so. Do you want one? You're a player character. What do you want an amulet of life protection? Duh! <laughs> I want I one. Have to ask. I want it if I could sell it. Hmm. Well, okay. How many XPs is this sucker worth? Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to go and look. Probably a lot. Well, okay, see, here's one I was just wondering 5, 000, about. I'm totally keeping this thing. <laughs> totally. Alright, so let me throw out a DM question to you. Dun 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 dun. Uh, Either one of you can be the DM here. Um, all right, I'm in the party. We've all managed. We've found an amulet of life protection, and we know we're about to go up against a demon. Save or so die. I say, so I say to the rest of the guys in the party, you know what? Come really close to me. We'll just get a long chain for this thing and affix it around all our necks at once. <laughs> nah, nah. No, 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 what no. What happens? <laughs> who gets... Who gets the protection? No. Uh, nobody does. Because that's not how it was originally intended. No, it wasn't forged that way, no. Yeah, no. fine. It's worn on a chain, so if uh, do I have to put it around my neck? Can I carry yes. it in my hand? I would say you would have to carry it around your neck. I would say the chain is part of the amulet itself, so if you tried to make a different chain, fizzle goes the magic. Bye. It's this uh, device is typically worn on a chain or as a brooch which pins yeah. on. I would, so it's only for one person. Right. I would so so I, I pin it on me, that's easy, but um the brooch, if I hold the brooch in my hand, does it still work? I would let it if it was in your pocket, I'd let it work. 
Yeah, it's somewhere on your person. I, I will go with that. All right, if I'm... Hold, all right, I'm just going to do one last stupid one. Uh, if it's right. in my bag of holding... I, I hold it in my hand, and I put my hand in somebody else's pocket. That's no. a little too personal, but... <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe he's a thief. He's picking pockets. He's, what is he, a yes. reverse thief? He's putting something in a pocket? There you go. A thief is taking it from somebody's pocket, and exactly at that moment, the demon tries to possess them both. I would say the thief would have the protection the other person wouldn't. I would, too. I, that's good. I, would, I like I it. Would the, thief has the, the thief <laughs> has the ultimate control, and we all know that nine-tenths of the law is no, right? <laughs> No, you know I think Possession that's a good idea. Possession is of the law, <laughs> and it keeps you from being possessed. Yes, exactly. Yes. Protection you cannot possess possession me. From the possession of the possessor. No, 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 no. You cannot possess me. No, no, no. No, no possess. No. I, I, I like that idea, though. I like the idea of the uh, the guy who thinks that he's got the amulet of life protection standing there, like this demon can do nothing to me. While yeah. the thief, yoink. Yeah, exactly. That would happen in my campaign. I can see that happening. I don't know why. You have some real dastardly people in your campaign, Nick. Yeah, but I love them for it. <laughs> Peace me out this my is why, This is why playing in real playing with people around a table is always going to be more fun than computer games. Oh, Because yeah. you just couldn't come up with that otherwise. No. Yeah. No fun having an argument with a computer over rules. Oh, yeah. There's no fun going, I picked a pocket that goes, you can't do that. Yeah. Well, I want to. You can't do that. Error, error, error. Or like when he used to play that Indiana Jones game in the Lost City of Atlantis. Anytime he wanted to do something, he could say, no, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. Uh, no, I can't do that. Nope, sorry. Nope, sorry. It's, I took the game and threw it out the window. End the game. Uh, as you should. Yeah. So that is the amulet. In a nutshell. On a well, then I can't use it. Yeah. On a brooch, in a nutshell. And we'll head into uh, our last segment of the night. <laughs> One of those electronic voting dealies. So the ten foot pole, Jason, you missed our ten foot pole last week. What was it? It was you naughty, naughty boy. Yes, it was. We wanted you to vote twice. Well, what brand of dice do you like? We had Game Science, Chessex, mm. Crystal Cast, or Q Workshop. And surprisingly, right now in the lead is actually it's a tie. Game Science. Chessex is actually highlighted as the lead with Game Science tied with it. So, Chessex as a, as a favorite? Yeah, apparently Chessex is the last vote that we got. Uh, with forty three, well, I mean, they're 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 everywhere. You can get a lot of them, but I don't know if they're favorite. They do make some pretty neat dice. Have you guys seen? A, it's too late for the poll, but unconventional dice. No. Oh, like a D seven? Oh. No, no. The, the company's actually called Unconventional Dice. And uh, they just make really cool stuff all the time. Uh, and if you, you can follow them on Facebook, it's just called Unconventional Dice. And uh, it's, I, I think it's a guy from the UK who sits around just designing cool new ideas for dice every week. Wow. So. Um, I'd like to get paid for that. Yeah. Yeah. So which one would you, would you vote for, Jason? Oh, well, um, uh, Game Science. Okay. So you just broke the, you just broke the lead. Surprisingly, Sorry, yeah, no, I, I love game science dice. Surprisingly, Q Workshop had no votes because I've never heard of it gimmick, myself. Gimmick, 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 dice, gimmick, dice. What? You just, you're just mad over Goodman Games, Nick. No, no, oh, no, no. Oh, just, okay. I just don't understand. I don't think game science are that, that great of dice. I just don't. I've handled them. I just don't see anything what's so special about them. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they, they. Uh, I, I like the, the just the way they feel. I mean, whether they're more accurate or random than the others, let somebody else argue that one out and sit around and plot things. The fact is, I just like how they feel. Mm-hmm. I like the, the the sharp, clean edges. The fact that they just they they just feel really well made. And I like I forgot the guy's name now, but I just I love his passion for it. How just into the way that he does these, he is. It's great. All right, let's we'll look up unconventional dice. That sounds cool. Yeah. Oh, unconventional dice. I just looked. Their website is dicecreator.com. Cool. So Perfect. create creator with an O. C R E A T O R. Is there another way to spell creator? No, not properly. But you know, some people <laughs> create her. Some people could spell it. Sorry, wrong. my spell check is off. <laughs> yeah. So the poll. There's no spell check in URLs. No, there is not. 
Uh, well, actually, you can get it, but anyway. Uh -huh. <laughs> I don't know why Take I can't that, flick that, Jason. <laughs> I'm having so much trouble going to Flickr or Tumblr. No, the My first checker won't let me get there. The catchphrase is "Take that, crispy." Remember that. But he's not here right now. I know. Anyway, so the poll for this week <laughs> is a fun poll. It's, uh, you go into a dungeon, you take with you A, a torch, B, food, C, a 10-foot pole, or D, RFI podcast on your iPod. Or E, a Tommy gun. No, that's no, that's no Tommy gun. That's my Wait, one. The first that's two, just like a, a Tommy gun. A torch, food, 10-foot pole, or the RFI podcast. Ooh, Ooh that's a tough one. <laughs> well, you don't need the torch if you've got the podcast. Your iPod lights up. Exactly. That's true. But you can only see so far with the iPad, iPod lighting up. Ah, true. Especially if you have, like, the you know classic generation. It doesn't give much Unless light. I'm an elf and I have infravision, so meh. Well, then the iPod's going to ruin that. Yeah, duh. <laughs> duh, think about it, elf with an iPod. Duh. Yeah, take that, Nick. Duh! <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, I'll leave it up to you to vote out there. Vote vote often, vote as much as you can, and uh, I think that's going to end the show this week, guys. What do you think? Sounds good. I like it. And, oh, wait. Yeah. Gen, Gen Con, 22 days away. Yes. Oh, man. Are we going to do a meetup, Jason? Yes, we have to. We have to do. I think, I'm thinking Friday night might be a good time for a meetup. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's check our game schedules, make sure that there's... Not some like crazy thing going on, and uh, we'll pick the best day. Sweet, and we'll post it up on the uh, forums for you guys. All right, so uh, keep it original, keep it old school. Good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. Good night. Roll for initiative. <laughs>